Our reading is from Joel chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in this land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days, or in the days of your forefathers? Tell it to your children, and let your children tell it to their children, and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded my land, powerful and without number. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste to my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. Mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the husband of her youth. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. The fields are ruined, the ground is dried up, the grain is destroyed, the new wine is dried up, the oil fails. Despair, you farmers, wail, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field, are dried up. Surely the joy of mankind is withered away. Put on sackcloth, O priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Has not the food been cut off from before our very eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seeds are shriveled beneath the clods. The storehouses are in ruins. The granaries have been broken down for the grain has dried up. How the cattle moan, the herds mill about because they have no pasture, even the flocks of sheep are suffering. To you, O Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the, devoured the open pastures and flames have burned up all of the trees of the field. Even the wild animals pant for you. The streams of water have dried up and fire has devoured, devoured the open pastures. This is the word of the Lord. Although I don't want to be overly alarmist, it seems to me that we are facing, at this moment, an unprecedented uh, devastation in Hong Kong. The social, the political, the economic situation in our city, the, the destruction we've seen on all those levels has impacted every single one of us across the last 10 months or so. Now, last year's protests brought the city to its knees and families were torn apart, uh, infrastructure was destroyed, trust in police and politicians reached an all-time low, uh, mental health suffered across every demographic, 
and people uh, across Hong Kong um, were severely affected by the economic uh, situation. Now, every segment of society trembled under that burden for about six months last year. And then, as things seemed to find a certain calm uh, as the new year turned, the coronavirus outbreak swept over us, you know, bringing another wave of fear, another a wave of uh, isolation and of uh, upset, another wave of economic destruction. And businesses have ground to a halt, schools have closed, um, even churches like our church uh, have suspended services. And I know that as a result, many people have actively begun to plan to move out of Hong Kong. This has been the straw that broke the camel's back, as it were, the, the last thing. But as the local outbreak has spread into a worldwide kind of pandemic this week. Well, the question is, where will you go to escape the troubles? Where can we go to find relief? Which brings us to the book of Joel this week. Uh, the book of Joel is um, a short prophet. It's a minor prophet. That's, uh, that phrase, minor prophet, is used for those shorter prophets in the Old Testament. And and Joel is a, a three-chapter book of prophecy. And we're going to work through the book of Joel over the next four weeks. And um, we're going to see that Joel was a prophet that spoke uh, with authority from God to a people in a situation very much like ours, a people going through unprecedented devastation. And that's what um, we read in these opening words of the book of Joel. If you uh, look at verse 2. He calls the elders to think back. He says, Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your forefathers? Now, the implied answer to that question is, well, no, nothing like this has ever happened before. And so Joel says, take notice. Remember, this time, which is without precedent, take notice. And more than remembering this time, I want you to pass it on to your children, he says in verse 3. And have them pass it on to their children, and their children pass it on to future generations. Because in times of unprecedented devastation, whether that's personal or societal levels of devastation, God is showing us something incredibly important. Incredibly important. So over the course of these three chapters of prophecy, Joel helps us to understand just what it is God would have us see in these times of destruction. As a prophet of God, he provides an authorized interpretation of events in a way that none of us would be able to. Joel provides an authorized interpretation of events, and then he authoritatively calls the people to respond in a certain way. Now we're going to see his interpretation and his call to respond. Because I think that if we can understand the logic of what Joel uh, is saying here in these three chapters, we will better understand how we should interpret and respond to the current situation 
in Hong Kong. And I think we can summarize the message of Joel in just, uh, well, at least the first chapter, uh, rather than the whole book. We can summarize the first chapter of Joel in a very simple sentence. Face the devastation and lament before the Lord. Now that's his advice to the people in this first chapter. First, face the devastation. You know, Joel is a particularly puzzling book among the minor prophets, because we don't know when Joel was writing, and more than that, we don't know the, the situation that he was talking about in his book of prophecy. While the other prophets give us little details about who was ruling at the time that they were writing, or they name cities or, or uh, particular situations that are going to happen or have happened, uh, Joel leaves the details a bit vague. The, the central image of the book, this swarm of locusts, is even, even debated. Is it meant to be taken literally, or is it a metaphor for an invading army taking over Israel? But while there are many questions about the particulars that Joel is speaking about, the overall message of the book of Joel is really very clear. Unprecedented devastation. Now we see that in verse 4. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. You know, it's, it's wave after wave after wave of locusts, leaving nothing but devastation in their wake. Now, I think that might be a picture that we find difficult to, to wrap our minds around, as most of us aren't in agriculture, most of us haven't uh, experienced a swarm of locusts, but for large parts of the world's population today, and for most of humanity throughout history, this would be a horrifying image. Uh, an image of total destruction, as locusts were a terrifying force. Let me read to you an account from a more recent locust swarm. In 1874, after an unusually hard winter and a drought-like spring and early summer, uh, late one July morning, the sunlight dimmed, and a strange darkness swept over the Kansas sky. A whirring, rasping sound followed, and there appeared a moving, shimmering screen between the sun and the earth. Farmers, they, they tied the cuffs of their trousers with string, and they ran out to cover the wells uh, where they got their drinking water from, to, so that they could save their drinking water, and that really was uh, one of the few things they were able to save. As the swarms crashed down on their houses, and on their fields, and on their trees like hail, and the skies began to clear, but that was really just the beginning of the devastation. The locusts soon scoured the fields of crops, they scoured the trees of leaves, and, and the blades of grass, and, and even the wool off of sheep, and the harnesses off of horses, the, the paint off of wagons, and the handles off of pitchforks. They washed up in waves against the fences up to a foot deep. 
They feasted for days, even devouring the clothing and the quilts that the farmhands had put over the vegetables in the garden to, to try to preserve them. The locusts ate through the quilt, and then they ate the vegetables. Uh, livestock ate the locusts, and farm families killed many of those uh, invading locusts by building bonfires, but there were just too many of them for man or beast to control. And so the locusts, the farmers, uh, later quipped. They ate everything but the mortgage on the farms. Now what they had experienced in Kansas, that happened all across the Midwest that year. It was one of the largest recorded locust swarms in the history of humankind, affecting, uh, people later estimated, about a two million square mile area. It's the equivalent of uh, the combined area of all the northern seaboard states in the U.S., from Maine down to Maryland. A huge uh, area of devastation. That's the kind of unprecedented devastation that Joel is describing in Israel. Now, whether it was actual locusts or an invading army, as verse 6 might imply, everything was laid to waste, and all they could do was watch on helplessly. And Joel's first act as a prophet in the midst of that destruction is to call all of Israel to face up to the devastation. Look at it square on, he says. And first he addresses the alcoholics and the merrymakers in verse 5. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it's been snatched from your lips. To the people who've been very, very good at avoiding reality, uh, whether through substance abuse or through enjoying, enjoying the finer things of life, maybe they were wine connoisseurs, or uh, maybe they were just used to... Um, distracting themselves through a Netflix subscription. And Joel says, wake up and wail. Can't you see what's happening? Stop distracting yourselves with fantasy. Stop dulling yourselves to the, the terrible reality of what's going on around you. In any of those uh, situations that they see, they will find that Soon their parties will stop, the luxuries will end, the distractions will run out as the locusts have snatched the wine from their lips. They have, verse 7, laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped the bark off and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. Now, the destruction is supposed to be, according to Joel, like an alarm clock or a megaphone to, to shout out, wealth and pleasure cannot save you. The markets are crashing, the, the parties are ending, you're going to be left with a hangover in the ruin very soon. And Joel then turns uh, to another group of people, the, the priests. And he says that they too need to face up to the devastation. Verse 9, grain offerings and drink offerings are, are cut from the house of the Lord. 
The priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. The destruction will not leave the religious practices of the people untouched. The ability to make offerings in the temple, to, uh, to make the sacrifices and to pour out the libations, uh, those sorts of things depend on there being animals to sacrifice, wine and oil to pour out, grain to burn up. The ruin of the fields, the destruction of the grain, the drying out of the wine and oil, that means there are no offerings to make. No religious duties can be performed. And churches had to be shut down. Services had to be stopped. Now, the idea that religious practices would guarantee the health and prosperity of the people, well, that was bunk. That was not the reality. Finally, Joel calls the workers of the nation uh, to face the reality. Verse 11, Despair, you farmers, and wail, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed. For all their hard work in the fields and their, their glowing annual reviews in the office, none of that could prevent the economic devastation. They are left just as helpless as everyone else. The promise that a good education, that hard work, that all of that would result in success? Well, in this instance, it's shown to be a lie. No advanced degrees, no lofty job titles could prevent this downturn. And the end of verse 12 summarizes the reality that everyone in every situation at that time was called to face. Verse 12, surely the joy of mankind is withered away. And just as the people of Joel's day needed to first face the reality that stood before them of devastation, so I think we too need to face the reality of our situation in Hong Kong. If we learn nothing else from these last 10 months of protests and viruses, we must learn this, that we cannot protect ourselves from the destruction, decay, and death of this world. And whether it's suddenly in the course of a few months, as we've seen, or, or more slowly, but just as certainly over the course of a few decades, any joy that we think we have secured in this world will wither away. It's only a matter of time. Uh, the wealth we accumulate, it provides a buffer for us, and we think it provides protection, but however sound our business practices are, when the markets crash and the businesses foreclose, we're left after only a few months vulnerable. And suddenly those 12-hour days that we've spent in the office for years, uh, those extra weekends that we put in, well, they were all for nothing. We have nothing left to show for it. 
and those promotions that we prized over the health of our marriage, maybe even, well, they're meaningless. And then there's the educational opportunities that we give our children, but leave them no more secure. Now, suddenly the years of expensive tuition, the, the private tutors, the extracurricular activities, all of those advantages that we've tried to give them, suddenly all of that comes in uh, to question, into jeopardy, as campuses are besieged by violence. And as uh, classrooms sit empty due to viruses, you know, will they be able to perform well on their exams? Who could have predicted uh, that this would be the situation they would have to perform in? With the unexpected stresses and strains of life and the exam results that we've spent years focusing on suddenly become a whole lot less certain. A whole lot less certain. And, and then there's the pious people around us. The, the religious works that they've performed, as good as they are, do not preserve them from the wider situation that we find ourselves in. They don't secure their health for them. They, they don't uh, preserve their, their prosperity. Now, you and I are no less likely to catch the coronavirus or to lose our jobs. We're no less likely uh, because we have given regularly to the church or performed other uh, of our religious duties. It's at times like this, when, when the foundations of our, our world are shaken, uh, that we begin to see uh, the lies that we've believed. We're called to look at the reality that's always been there, but we've just been maybe distracted or, or able to ignore, we've wanted to ignore, but the reality is we're vulnerable. We are so vulnerable, whereas you know, I might have been able to deny it for years. Maybe, maybe I'd have been able to deny it for many more years until the diagnosis comes from the doctor. Or maybe I'd have been able to deny it and you'd have been able to deny it for a few more decades until 2047. Or whatever that thing is that would suddenly uh, pull the carpet out from under you. The events of the last 10 months in Hong Kong make us face up to the facts and admit that even our best defense is no defense against destruction, decay, and death. And that's what Joel wants the people he is speaking to to see. That's what we need to see in Hong Kong today. But at the same time that Joel calls people to face the facts, he calls them to respond to the fact of their vulnerability rightly. And that's the second part of Joel chapter 1. Lament before the Lord. Lament before the Lord. Notice that the, the first chapter, as he points to the devastation that surrounds them, Joel is constantly telling his hearers, to respond in a very specific way. Did you notice as we read through? Verse 5, Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. 
mourn like a virgin, verse 8, in sackcloth, grieving the husband of her youth. Verse 11, despair, you farmers, wail, you vine growers. Verse 13, put on sackcloth, O priests, and mourn, wail, you who minister before the altar. What is the appropriate response when things that seemed to be secure in your life are shaken and places that you look to for security collapse? What is the right response in that situation? It is to lament before the Lord. A lament, it, it means to express your grief or your sorrow to him to mourn, to cry out, to plead, lament. How very different to how most of us try to deal with situations like this, isn't it? You know, we try to think positive thoughts because we think, if I can just stay optimistic, I'll get through this. You know, we deny the anxiety that keeps us up at night or, or that uh, runs through our mind throughout the day. And we put on a brave face for other people. And we keep on living and working and acting just like we did before the devastation came because we don't know what else to do. That's what we've always done. And it hasn't brought us security yet, but if we just keep doing it, maybe it will. But according to Joel, and according to many other prophets in Scripture, the times of devastation that we face are meant to call us to lament. Now, in lament, we acknowledge that the world is not as it should be, that I am not as I should be and you are not as you should be, that we've not been living the lives we should have been, and perhaps most importantly, we admit that we are powerless to change the situation. I think that's the most important part of lament. You know, while we're usually seeking to fix or to, to change our situation, in lament we put that impulse aside and say to God, we, we cry out to God simply, help me, help me, help us. But do you see? Joel's imperatives to his hearers throughout this first chapter, what are all the imperative verbs? They're weep, they're wail, they're cry out, they're mourn. These are actions, these are, are verbs that don't accomplish anything on their own. They simply appeal to the Lord ways of appealing to God to accomplish something for us, rather than seeking to accomplish it ourselves. Because the most necessary response for a believer in a situation of devastation, whether that's personal or societal devastation, is to cry out for God's help. Now let me just say that again. The most necessary response for a believer in situations of devastation is to cry out for God's help. And so 
Joel instructs the religious leaders of his day uh, to lead the people in doing just that. They no longer offer their sacrifices in the temple. They, they can't. They can't even gather together on a Sunday, probably. But they can lead the people to do what is most necessary. Verse 14. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. So this morning, on the third Sunday of Lent, I want to summon you to cry out to the Lord. How can you do that? Well, I suggest that every time you experience something of the, the devastation surrounding you, every time you recognize it and think, this is not the way things should be, now, this is not what I signed up for. This is not how I want to live. Every time you, you recognize the devastation, take a moment to stop what you're doing and lament before the Lord in prayer. What might that mean? Well, students, if you are fed up with your online learning modules and you, you just want to give up on your studies, stop. Put down the mouse and the keyboard, bow your head, and lament, mourn, cry out to the Lord in prayer. And parents, when you are ready to explode with frustration and irritation uh, as you try to get your children to learn on these online modules, or, or you're just stuck in the house together without a place to go as nothing's open, Stop fighting, lower your voice, and take your frustration to God in prayer. Ask for his help. Or maybe you're feeling anxious and depressed. You're not a student, you're not a parent, but this is affecting you as well. Why don't you stop berating yourself for a moment? Stop trying to fix yourself. For a moment and simply pour your heart out as upsetting as ugly as it might be honestly pour your heart out before the Lord and those who are financially drowning at this point your businesses are on the point of collapse your your personal accounts are drawing empty Take your lunch break this week. Go to a quiet place and mourn before the Lord. You know, none of us are able to solve the problems that our city is facing at the moment. But you know, we need to admit our inability. So often we think we can change uh, our own lives or if we have a great deal of hubris, we think we can change the city that we live in, but it's not true. Let's admit our inability. Let's turn with our problems to the one who is able to help our city, to help us as individuals 
in circumstances we can't control. You know, we're not asking him in, in lament, we're not asking him to return everything to the way it was, because if you rewind the clock 11 months back in Hong Kong's uh, time frame, well then, you're just as vulnerable. But we're asking in lament not to rewind the clock, but to rescue. God, will you rescue me? For as we will see next week, the trials and tribulations that we face in this life, in this world, they're meant to remind us that this world is passing away. And it will soon be gone. And it's meant to prepare us for the coming day of the Lord, of greater judgment. That's what verse 15 says. Alas for that day, says Joel, for the day of the Lord is near, and it will come like destruction from the Almighty. If we barely survive these comparatively light and momentary trials that we face in this world, how will we stand on that day of greater judgment? And of course the answer is that we won't stand. Not unless God makes us stand. Which is precisely what he has promised to do in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we lament disease, will we remember the one who in his earthly ministry went around to every town and village in Galilee and went about healing disease and preaching the gospel. And as we cry out in the midst of our personal disaster, we remember the one who himself faced personal disaster. He knew what it was to be betrayed by his friends. He knew false accusations. He knew what it was to be beaten and eventually executed. And yet, uh, when it came to his point of despair and desolation, he said to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. And as we mourn for what we have lost, and many of us will have lost a great deal, as we mourn for that, we remember the one who lost everything, including his life, for us and for our sake. But in the end, he was exalted to the highest place and given the name above every name. Now that's how his story ends. And as we lament and acknowledge that we, our city and our world, deserve God's righteous condemnation, his judgment, but we lament before the Lord, we acknowledge that that is what we deserve, and yet we express our belief that God can change the outcome of that judgment. God can do something about the situations that we find ourselves in. And we find hope that the same power that raised Christ from the dead and exalted him to the right hand of the Father will raise us as well and exalt us with him. So this week, as, uh, as you face what is real devastation, unprecedented devastation in our city, uh, will you 
Um, will you face up to the devastation? And will you lament before the Lord, uh, taking it all to him and asking for his help? Allow me to do that now as we close. Father, we thank you that you are very clear that the world that we live in uh, is not as it should be, that it is subject to destruction and decay and death due to sin. And we confess that we are often the ones bringing in further destruction, further decay, further death uh, due to our sin. And yet uh, we cry out to you to change us, change our hearts and change our circumstances. Uh, give us your spirit so that we uh, can do what is right and persevere. Send your uh, spirit to this city to change the desolation that people feel into hope, to draw people to yourself. And we pray that we might see you doing great things in our own lives, in our city and in our world, as people uh, realize the foolishness of the things they've been chasing and seek to uh, cry out to you and follow you. We pray that that would happen in Jesus' name. Amen.